So we're going to talk tonight about the subject of the outer self and the inner self. And our text comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16. Here's what it says. So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Paul's word for the body here in this verse is outer self. Now, he's been talking about the body already in chapter 4 of 2 Corinthians. For example, you can go up to verse 7, and he speaks of jars of clay. The older translation says earthen vessels, talking about the fragility of the body. Uh, Verse 10, he mentions the body and how he has always been carrying in the body the death of Jesus. In verse 11, he refers to the mortal flesh. And he's still talking about the body when he gets into chapter 5, in verse 1, referring to it as a tent, in contrast to uh, the resurrection body, which is, he says, a building from a God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. In verse 16, the body is the outer self. And as if he hasn't said enough already, he says that the outer self is wasting away. That means it is in a steady state of decay, headed to ruin. The change is inevitable. Uh, You can slow it down with a healthy diet, with exercise, with medicine, and you can try to stay as healthy as you can, but we're mortal, and eventually our bodies give in to death. It's a part of life. In the words of George Bernard Shaw, the statistics on death are impressive. One out of every one person dies. And that's... uh, a hard truth to deal with sometimes, but it's something we must come to grips with. Solidarity with the human race helps. It helps that we're all going through this and we can help each other through it. We know what we're going through, but still it's painful, it's limiting. And if you happen to believe that the outer self is all there is, then death means the loss of absolutely everything. And we wonder why. You know, the body is a marvelous masterpiece. It's bearing the fingerprints of the, of the Creator. Uh, it boggles my mind that some people can look at the human body and actually believe that it's the result of some cosmic accident. We are designed by a great Creator. And the body is a marvel. And to see it fall into decay just seems like such a waste. So why? We look to the Bible for answers, and the Bible blames sin. Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sinned. The wages of sin is death. You know the story. God placed Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, gave them everything that they need, to have a beautiful life in communion with Him, there was that one commandment. You may eat of any tree in the garden, 
except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, of that tree you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat it you will surely die. And the serpent came and said, You will not surely die. And Adam and Eve listened to the serpent instead of God. They ate of the fruit and they started to die. Now, Adam lived 930 years after that. Or he lived a total of 930 years. And some people look at that and they say, well, he didn't die like God said that he would die. A literal rendering of the warning in Genesis chapter 2, verse 17 is, dying you shall die, which is a little different from the idea of dropping dead. Uh, one commentator has it, you will be doomed to die, and doomed he was, as are we, his children. Now, a somewhat philosophical question that we can talk about is when God created Adam and Eve, and he created those outer bodies, did he intend for them in the beginning to live forever? In other words, when he created man on the sixth day, did he create immortals? And then when they sinned, their DNA changed so that they began to waste away. I think a lot of people believe that, but that's not my position. I think if you look at the, the evidence, it shows that God did not intend for Adam and Eve to live on earth forever. For one thing, you can just take the size of the earth and the limitations of space and time and the reproductive potential of human beings, and you can find that there's just not enough room on this earth for an undying human race. Eventually, we'd crowd ourselves out. And that seems to imply that God did not mean for us to live here forever. Also, you can think about the way that we're created and the mention of dust. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, we read that the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. Adam's name itself is related to the Hebrew word for ground or dust. And dust is a metaphor throughout the Old Testament for that which is transient and passing away, that which is mortal. In Genesis 3.19, God says to Adam, You are dust, and to the dust you shall return. Paul calls him a man of dust. In 1 Corinthians 15.47-49, the Psalms say we will return to dust. And all of that and our identity with the dust also seems to imply that even at creation, we were not intended to live on earth forever. Another consideration, how do you explain the tree of life? Because the tree of the knowledge of good and evil wasn't the only special tree in the garden. You also had the tree of life. And anyone who ate of its fruit would live forever. Well, after Adam and Eve sinned, they were driven out of the garden, if you'll remember, according to Genesis chapter 3, verse 22, and there were cherubim placed at the entrance to keep them from entering the garden lest they eat of the tree of life and live forever. That seems to suggest that they needed access to that tree to be immortal for their outer selves to live forever. Perhaps before the fall, death was not something to be feared, 
It was merely a change into a more glorious state of being. But God's original plan was interrupted by sin so that we may never know what He intended in the very beginning for us to be. We just know that now the world has fallen, we are broken, and our mortal bodies are doomed as Adam's to die. So is that all there is to who we are? The outer self. Well, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16, Paul says we're more than dust. He says there is an inner self. And it's to the inner self that we turn now. We're not just flesh. We're made of two parts, the outer self and the inner self. The inner part of man is his spirit. Death, at least the physical side of death, doesn't extinguish the spirit. James describes death as a separation in James chapter 2, verse 26. The body, apart from the spirit, is dead. So when someone dies, their body remains on earth, and their spirit goes to God who gave it. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 7. The outer self is the temporary you. The inner self is the permanent, continuous you. The inner self never sleeps, never blinks out. Our bodies, our outer selves, are continuously changing form. We begin as zygotes and turn into fetuses and are born as infants. Uh, we become children, then adolescents, young adults, then we become middle-aged, and we become elderly. And throughout all those stages of life, the shell is changing, but the person within is the same the same inner self. You know, I've had uh, older people on more than one occasion tell me in their 80s or 90s, you know, I, I've gotten old, but I still feel like that same 20-year-old person I was a long time ago. And that's because the inner self within is not affected the way the outer self is by time. But when we talk about stages of lives, we're not talking about the most radical changes that occur to the body. Because the Bible tells us that the bodies we're in now will die, will return to the dust. Our spirit will separate from that and go to God in this intermediary stage of, of life in heaven and comfort with God. And then there will be a resurrection where our bodies will rise from the grave into glorious forms, and live with God forever. And through all of those stages, life on earth, life after death, life in the resurrection form, our spirit, the essence of who we are, it remains the same. The spirit is immortal. That is to say, once you're created, you will live forever. That inner self will not die. That's not the same as being eternal only God is eternal because God was never born and he will never die. We were born, we have a beginning, but our inner self has no end. Paul says in contrast to the outer self, the inner self is being renewed day by day. We don't pay enough attention to the, the potential of renewal 
in the inner self. And uh, there are several scriptures that talk about this. I want you to consider one that we talked about a lot this year is Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And then also consider Ephesians 4.23, where he encourages us to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Colossians 3 verse 10, put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. And then one more, uh, Titus chapter 3 verse 5 says that God saved us according to his mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. So over and over again, we're told the, the inner self has this potential for renewal that the outer self doesn't possess. Now, what is meant by that? There are two possibilities, maybe more, but two I'd like to share with you. The first possibility is that it could be talking about the renewal by the Holy Spirit that we have through His indwelling that refreshes us every morning. Every day you wake up, your, your inner self is new, although incrementally, day by day, your outer self is wasting away. That's the first possibility. The second possibility could be that it's talking about spiritual growth. Our responsibility to improve the inner self, drawing closer to God day after day after day. Spiritual maturity, in other words. So the first possibility is the indwelling spirit keeps us new and fresh, the inner self never dies. The second possibility is spiritual growth, getting closer and closer to God every day. Which is it? Well, let's look at that first possibility and see if there's anything to it. And in favor of that is the promise of eternal life that Jesus gave in John chapter 5. Turn over to John 5. Concerning this, Jesus said the following in John chapter 5, verse 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but he has passed from death to life. Look at the present tense there. Whoever, he says, whoever hears my word and believes me, he has eternal life. Eternal life begins at the moment of conversion. Now, a few verses later, he talks about an hour that is coming in which the uh, resurrection will occur and our bodies will be raised to a resurrection of life. And so scholars have looked at this concept and called it an already not yet proposition. Eternal life is something that we already have as Christians, the inner self being renewed inside us made new, freed from death, forgiven of sin. We have eternal life. It starts now, but it's not fully realized until Christ returns in the resurrection. There's some biblical support to that first idea that the renewal of the Spirit is God making us new at conversion. Regarding this, uh, C.S. Lewis said some interesting things. I want to share a couple of quotes with you from him. 
This is from his essay, The Weight of Glory. He says, Nature is mortal. We shall outlive her. When all the suns and nebula have passed away, each one of you will still be alive. And in there, in beyond nature, we shall eat of the tree of life. If we are reborn in Christ, the Spirit in us lives directly on God. The whole man is to drink joy from the fountain of joy. The fountain of joy there being another reference to the tree of life. So he's talking there about that first option, that the renewal of the inner self, day by day, is the eternal life that you enjoy now within. Another quote, uh, this is from his well-known book, Mere Christianity. I wasn't able to get the whole thing on the screen, but most of it. He says, a car is made to run on petrol. That's gas, I think. A car is made to run on gas. And it would not run properly on anything else. Now, God designed the human machine to run on himself. He himself is the fuel our spirits were designed to burn or the food our spirits were designed to feed on. There is no other. That is why it's just no good asking God to make us happy in our own way without bothering about religion. God cannot give us a happiness and peace apart from himself because it is not there. So through Christ, the Christian enjoys this unending eternal life that begins at conversion when the Spirit dwells in us. But when you look at the passages we just read on renewal, there seems to be a responsibility on us to be a part of that renewal process. For example, Romans 12, 2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Now, we all understand it's our responsibility not to be conformed. Do we have any responsibility in allowing God to transform us by the renewal of our minds? And then when you get to the passages in Ephesians 4.23 and Colossians 3.10, there it becomes very clear that he's speaking in imperatives. Be renewed in the spirit of your minds and put on the new self which is after the likeness of the Creator in a true righteousness and holiness. So he's talking about it in terms of, of changing clothes. It's something we must do. He's commanding us, put it on. So which is it? Is the renewal of the inner self what God does in us at, at conversion when he makes our inner self alive? Or is it something we do and it's our responsibility to grow? I think the language is broad enough and big enough here to include both. I think, yes, God makes us new when we believe in Christ and obey the gospel. We're raised out of the watery grave of baptism to walk in newness of life, Romans chapter 6, verse 4. But also, being babes in Christ, we're to grow and mature and get closer and closer to the image of Christ as we're renewed in the spirit of our minds. It's both. The potential for renewal is in God's hands and in our hands. But it's good news as we see our outer selves wasting away. It's good news to know that the inner self doesn't have to suffer that same fate. And this is why 
if you're dealing with aging or chronic illness or trouble physically, you shouldn't allow yourself to start to feel those feelings of uselessness and worthlessness and loss of meaning. It's a very common thing for older people in particular. I was reading something by the therapist Gary Collins, and he mentioned some quotes from older people that he had talked to. One said, the worst thing about aging is the overwhelming sense that everything around you is letting you know that you're not terribly important anymore. Have you ever felt like that? Here's another one. Another retired person described how he reached a point of concluding, nothing out there really depends on me anymore. We shouldn't give in to feelings like that, however tempting they are. As long as you're on earth, you're needed. You're useful. I talk to a lot of older people who focus on what they can't do anymore. Well, there are a lot of things that you can't do anymore, but there are new things you can do as a result of your, your older age or whatever situation you may find you're in. Life at every stage has opportunities. And this scripture about the growth of the inner self encourages us in that way. So we need to look at what we can do instead of dwelling on what we used to be able to do and wish we could still do. You know, Paul does maintain a distinction between the outer self and the inner self. But we need to say this. Just because there's a distinction, that doesn't mean there's not a connection. There is a connection. The outer self has influence over the inner self, and the inner self has influence over the outer self. People who deal with a lot of pain, who deal with a lot of sickness, who deal with limiting older age, can start to feel spiritually depressed, it has an effect on them on the inside. Not only that, but whenever you're going through things spiritually, when you're having psychological issues, emotional issues, those can tend to bring physical problems with them. So there is a connection. And I think uh, John is pointing to that in 3 John verse 3. He begins that epistle saying, Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. So as your soul is well, so may your body be well. There is a connection, but there's no getting around it. That While the inner self has potential for growth into eternity, the outer self is wasting away. So having established that we play a role in the constant everyday renewal of the inner self, let's get practical for a minute and ask, what has God given us to help us be renewed in the inner man? And there are four things that I want to present to you. First of all, the Word of God. When Jesus was tempted in the wilderness... He'd been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. And so he was very hungry. And the devil came to him and he said, 
Command these stones that they be made into bread. And you remember what Jesus said to him. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. The word of God nourishes us and feeds us. And there are people who spend so much time on their outer selves feeding and nourishing that, that they're dying by bread alone. They're not getting the word of God that replenishes the soul. It's so important, I can't emphasize it enough. And yes, all of you here on a Sunday night, you obviously think it's important to gather together like this and to hear the preaching of God's Word. And that's great, and we must continue to do that. But in your personal life, in your daily lives, you need to continue to feed on the Word of God. Your inner self depends on it. So there's the Word of God. And the Word of God has this ability to cut deep into that inner self. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 calls it a sword. The Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of joints and of marrow and of soul and of spirit, and is a discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. It gets down deep into our souls. And sometimes that hurts. Sometimes it's difficult and challenging, but we need that because growth is challenging. Renewal is challenging. So don't neglect the Word of God. Number two, there is forgiveness. You need forgiveness in your life for your soul. You need God's forgiveness, and you need to forgive. Think about God's forgiveness, first of all. The inner self is damaged by sin. It is heading toward death. In fact, it is dead. Sin kills it because death is separation. Isaiah 59, 1 and 2 says, Our sins separate us from God. So we suffer spiritual death when we sin, but because Christ died for us, we can be redeemed, washed in His blood. But after we are converted, we still sin. After God brings our spirits back to life and we're raised with Christ, we still fail Him. We still sin. And John tells us that if we don't admit that, we make God a liar, we're lying to ourselves. 1 John chapter 1. But he says this in verse 9, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There is a second law of pardon. And so after we become Christians, we continue to lean on God's mercy through prayer and confession and repentance. And the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. 1 John 1, 7. That's not all. We also need to forgive others. Jesus tells us this in the model prayer. In Matthew chapter 6, he says that when we pray, we should pray, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Our debts being our sins. Forgive our sins as we are forgiving others. And then, if that wasn't clear enough, in verse 14, he gives this conditional statement. He says, 
If you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will forgive your trespasses. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father in heaven forgive you. A lot of times we just look at that as another condition for salvation, another box to check. Okay, God, you're, not, you're holding my, my forgiveness hostage until I forgive somebody else, so I forgive. Now let me into heaven. But that's not what that's all about. It's so much deeper than that. He's trying to free you from the things that weigh down your inner self. And he's saying, my forgiveness to you is part of it. Now, do you want to be free? Do you want peace? Do you want joy? Then you forgive others and release the wrongs that have been controlling you. And it's better for you. You need that for the nurturing of your soul. Whatever wrong you're still holding on to, whatever grudge you're bearing, let it go in forgiveness as God has forgiven you. And then there's love. Love is so important. God, who is life, is love. Uh, yesterday, Don Wilson gave this great talk at, uh, at the family retreat. And he went through the divine definition of love in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And he told us that we can put God's name in front of love in that passage. So we can say, instead of love is patient and kind, God is patient. God is kind. God is not irritable or resentful. God rejoices not in wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. God bears all things, believes all things, God hopes all things, God endures all things. That's beautiful. That's a wonderful way to look at that passage. Because God is love. God who is life is love. Now we want His life in the inner self, right? You can't have that life of God without the love of God. It's not possible. Look at 1 John chapter 3, verse 14. Here's what John says. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. The inner self is not renewed unless there's love there. The love is the life. And through love... We serve one another. Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. And when you serve others, you get your mind off your own problems. It's healing to the soul. Love is important. The last thing that God gives us for inner renewal is prayer. You probably guessed I was going here, but prayer is so important. Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Do not be anxious about anything. But in prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, shall keep or shall guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. There is some language there that's military language, which pictures the peace of God as a guard marching around the city of your heart. And it's keeping guard and it's keeping all the anxieties and the cares away from your heart. 
to protect you. And that comes to you in prayer. When you pray, you're giving God the things that are out of your control. And you're releasing that and you're saying, God, I can't handle this. I'm asking you to handle it. And if that prayer is uttered in faith, it will be answered with peace. We are in a constantly changing husk, an outer self. That's part of who we are, but it's not who we are. The inner self, the essence of who we are, is being renewed day by day by day. But we need to walk with Christ and be cleansed in His blood in order for that to be a reality in our lives. Is that your reality? Do you need to come today and have your sins cleansed? We can help you, and we ask you to come right now as we stand together and as we sing.